This is Dave Larzelier. Welcome to the Balanced Band Director Podcast, a show about music, band directing, leadership, and balancing your life and career. Each episode, I have the tremendous honor to speak to educators, composers, and friends who will share their insights and experiences about life and teaching. I hope that you find these interviews inspiring and motivating, and they help bring balance to your own life and career. Please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at Balanced Band Director, or send me an email at balancedbanddirector at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy the show, and I appreciate you listening. Andy, are you there? I'm here, buddy. How you doing? Great, man. How's everything going? Uh, really well. Really well. How have you been? Really good, thanks. It's been an interesting uh, couple of months, but we're we're trying to make the best of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Feeling that way. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Welcome to the Balanced Band Director Podcast. Um, my guest today is Andrew David Perkins. Uh, if you are a band director, especially here in Michigan, he is no stranger to you. Um, Andy is also the band director at the AGS Middle School in Fenton, Michigan. Uh, and, uh, does lots of other things. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, Andy, in your job? Sure. Um, well, you know, this is a little strange for all of us considering the last three months, but this past year, the 1920 school year was my first year as the director of bands at Fenton AGS middle school. Like you mentioned previously, I had been the director of bands at Fenton high school for 17 years before that. And, you know, a little bit of that crossed over too. I taught eighth grade for a year, a couple of years actually in seventh and eighth grade, two years ago. So this was the first year that I left the high school entirely and took over at the middle school for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we can get into that later about, about the balance part of it. I, I really like the concept of your podcast here. And that plays into that as well, those decisions to, to make that move. Sure. But um, yeah, my, Fenton was my, first, was my first gig out of college, out of Michigan State, and at the high school. Along with, you know, at the time, this is 18 years ago, but at the time, it was mostly banned at the high school. And then I had to teach like one class of sixth grade reading, you know, one of those deals. Um, and I taught sixth grade choir in there a little bit. Um, and eventually ended up teaching um, a few sections, several sections of music technology at the high school as well, okay. um, which was a really cool program that uh, Brad Wright and I developed. Brad Wright's the uh, choir director at Fenton High School. He's a really great musician. And um, we kind of wrote that curriculum together and convinced the community to pass a bond that would let us renovate the fine arts wing and build a music tech lab. So that was a really great experience as well. So, uh, yeah, I've been, my whole career has been teaching in this school district for 18 years, uh, in a lot of different capacities, marching band, jazz band, symphony band, wind ensemble, music technology, a little bit of choir, um, theater, you know, doing school plays as we always end up doing. I I feel like band directors always end up joining the crew and, um, putting together a pit orchestra, you know, and being part of that team. Sure. Um, but just a lot of different capacities working in, in the schools here in Fenton. Yeah. And I've also, for the last nine years, I've been the music director and conductor of the Fenton Community Orchestra, 
which is an all ages group that meets uh, at the high school here in Fenton on Thursday nights. And that's just a fantastic ensemble. Those players are very good. A lot of those players um, used to play in high school and, you know, a couple decades went by and they had lives and then wanted to play again. And so they got out their instruments and um, I was asked to come on board as music director about nine years ago. And that's just been a wonderful experience. So I've been doing that about nine years. Was that group already in existence when you took it over or did did you start it from scratch? I did not start the group. No, the group was actually started by three individuals, um, these three women who basically just wanted to play. They wanted to play in an an orchestral ensemble and uh, they had slightly different backgrounds, but all of them had, you know, been string players and uh, involved in the arts in one way or the other. And so they sort of put this group together in the first year. It was, you know, very small, 15 players maybe. And they partnered with me to have a performance venue and to have a place to perform, but also to perform along with the jazz band for the high school, because, you know, a group that small in their first season, they sure. really only were able to put together a couple minutes of music, you know? Right. So they were like, Hey, let's do a joint concert with you know your jazz group. So, actually played percussion for them uh, on a piece or two their first season. And then pretty quickly they saw that this was going to be a good relationship and asked me to come on board. And that has blown up that, that organization and that ensemble really is incredible. That's been one of the best conducting and personal experiences of my life. Wow. Yeah. Really, really fun group. Very cool. Um, well, cool. Tell us a little bit, uh, about how you got started. You mentioned you went to MSU, um, you know, where'd you go to high school and the whole thing? Yeah, I went to Rochester Adams high school. I grew up in Royal Oak and then moved to Rochester and went to Rochester schools, started playing in band. We started in fifth grade, played the trombone, uh, for, uh, Bill Walters and Denny Freilich in high school. Denny was great director, real old school, silent rehearsal kind of guy. Mm-hmm. but he ran our jazz band like a, a lab group. So we would like bring in tapes of our favorite songs, whatever it was, super weird stuff like, um, you know, like Dream Theater and Rush and just like anything crazy. And we would all pick songs and then we would like dub the tapes. So everybody had tapes and we would just go and do sectionals and learn these tunes by ear, which was a really, really good ear training experience in high school that I didn't even realized was happening you know yeah um and he would give us notes and stuff but and come in at the end and and give the seal of approval but he gave us total control which was amazing in a high school setting yeah um so that was super cool and he was just a great guy and really encouraged me uh you know he saw he saw the bug early Mm -hmm. in me and you know encouraged me to do the interlocking thing and that's i did the interlocking all-state orchestra with larry livingston when i was 15 years old Mm-hmm. And that was like total game changer for me yep. to, to see that kind of artistry and be surrounded um, in a place like Interlochen where it's just your kind of people, you know? And uh, that was where I completely was sold on this whole thing. And I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be an orchestra conductor and I'm going to be a composer and I'm going to, you know, and you're 15 and you're full of excitement. Hey, you did pretty well, man. You got a couple of those boxes checked already. <laughs> I guess so. And I looked. <laughs> When I look back, I realize 15-year-old me should be freaking out. Right. 
Um, um, that's awesome. I, I guess I didn't realize you went to Interlock, and I, I did the same thing. I was uh, Larry Livingston. I played an orchestra. I'm trying to remember what I, I was in. I was in oh, 90, really? 94. We did Sibelius 2. Oh, man. I missed time. you. I yeah, missed what, you by a year. Okay. And you know what's funny? I was there in 95, 96. And, okay, um, yeah. and I just last winter, Tim Seabor and I realized we were in the group together and never knew it. Is that right? Yeah. Is that yeah. nuts? That's that's awesome. I know that that happens all the time. I look back at programs, you know, from when I was in high school. I, I did the Michigan Youth Band too, and I was in uh, Michigan, sure. I should say, in Ann Arbor. And like, you know, I looked through there. There's like eight people that I that I know now, but didn't know them in the group at all. So, but that's the thing. This is yeah. it's such a small community. Yeah. You know, our job is so unique, and we have to find ways to seek each other out. And you build these friendships professionally, and then you realize it all. We all had these life-changing experiences one way or another and very often literally sitting in the same room right it's it's really cool when you look back at it like that yeah um was your so, music, yeah was your was your family musical at all did you have like your parents into it or oh yeah my mom my mom was an elementary music educator for okay. over 30 years and wow they sang my parents met in europe on a wayne state glee club and women's chorus uh tour Love it. So they, you know, they met and fell in love in Europe, making music in really cool castles yeah. and stuff. And yeah. um, my sister sang same thing. She was all state honors choir and doing that whole thing. Um, and she was really big into musical theater and got me into that, mm-hmm. which was, you know, super important in middle school and high school was the, the theater scene. Um, uh, she didn't do band. My sister didn't do band, but she played piano and I would, uh, it was one of the ways I kind of knew I had an aptitude was that I would listen to her piano lessons um, and then like go in the other room after the teacher left and like play her lesson from, you know, from memory by ear. And I kind of knew, I'm sure that was super annoying, but that was an identifier to me that, um, that I had some aptitude and ability and, so yeah, my family is very musical. My whole, my mom's whole family sings and there's my aunt and uncle also, they, they're composers. They write music and a lot of um, sacred stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've just been very steeped in it since birth. So I was very you know, fortunate that way. Sure. Very cool. Um, so you ended up at MSU. Yep. Undergrad at Michigan State, instrumental music ed. Uh, that's where you and I met, obviously, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. got to be friends and did the whole drum corps thing together, mm-hmm. Phantom Regiment, which was just, you know, life changing. Life changer for sure. Really, really um, informative too, just for in terms of being a high school band director. I don't know that there's a there's a better, aside from an instrumental music degree, I don't know if there's a better preparatory course than doing drum corps. I tell people that all the time. I mean, that and student teaching, I can't imagine doing, you know, what I do now without those two experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And the stakes are really high, too. And, and student teaching is safe. But yep. in drum corps, the stakes are really high and you're doing it in the moment and learning how to get this many people down the road safely, yeah. healthy. Yeah, It's crazy. Yeah. So that was that was great. And I did after a couple of years of teaching, um, Colleen Conway called me from the university of michigan she had been at msu i'm sure she was one of your yep professors there for a while but she called a couple of us up and and she started that summer's master's so went down to ann arbor did masters at michigan and while i was there managed to convince jim de to uh, give me some composition lessons 
although that wasn't part of my degree. It was, you know, I did a music ed degree again, mm-hmm. um, but I really wanted to kind of feed that composition thing. So snuck that in. Um, and then after that, um, you know, while just still teaching and being a band director and kind of, you know, building those skills and that craft, my wife really encouraged me to take the composition thing seriously. And so that's when I started looking into the Berkeley courses, the Berkeley online courses, man, their program is so good. I would really highly recommend it, especially if you're somebody who, you know, we all have to do this continuing ed stuff and keep our certificate. And if you just can't take another course from, you know, one of those continuing ed programs, that's just sort of, you know, mindless. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't take it and you really want to get engaged and you're willing to pay for it, the Berkeley online courses are so good. Cool. They are so good. Cool. Yeah. I remember just coming alive with a couple of those first courses I took thinking like, man, this was what I always wanted to be studying, you know? That's awesome. So yeah, you should definitely, I would definitely recommend that to anybody. Okay. So yeah, I did that. I got an orchestration certificate. Um, and right around 2012, 2013 was when I officially started putting my music out there, my large ensemble music and um, formed a publishing company. And that sort of, that sort of blew up, I think, just from my network of uh, director friends and people who already sort of trusted me as a colleague, um, as a educator, and then you know, we're willing to sort of go out on a limb and say, oh, cool, I'll take a look at your piece and play it or program it. So mm-hmm. it's been really, really rich experience for me to to find a way to wear all those different hats as a conductor, composer, and educator. Cool. Um, speaking, if you can put your educator hat back on for just a second and did you have a moment when you just knew you wanted to become a teacher or a band director? I mean, you mentioned all the the rich experiences you had in high school, but was there like a moment or an experience where you're like, all right, this is it. I don't know. I think that was always known. I just, you know, I think a lot of us, um, when we're younger, I mean, I even look at my own daughters now and I can see their tendencies to want to instruct or to want to like correct or say like, this is how you do this or, you know, watch me do this and model it. I think there's just sometimes you just know if there's a teacher in you or a director in you. Yeah. Um, that was never really in question for me. The, the big thing for me was whether or not I was going to be a filmmaker or a music director, because that was another, a big passion of mine too. But um, that interlocking experience as a teenager really kind of, change things and i also think that like sending me off to los angeles for film school was just a little bit too crazy for my parents um music ed seemed safer and once i heard the spartan marching band live that was it like there was absolutely no way i was going to do anything but move to east lansing in the fall yeah so yeah i always knew i wanted to be a teacher and i came from a family of teachers my sister's teacher my mom's teacher yeah um, I think it's just sort of in the genes. Yeah. Um, but just picking music was sort of like pick your passion, yeah. you know? 
Yeah, I, I totally, and that, I resonate with that a lot. I mean, I grew up in East Lansing, so I, you know, I've been watching the marching band since I can remember my parents used to take me there, and it was just a dream to be a part of that organization, you know. See, that's interesting, because I had a little bit of the opposite experience, because I grew up sort of in a, I mean, I wouldn't call it a Michigan family, mm-hmm. but, you know, my cousin went to Michigan, and I grew up sort of idolizing the, the Michigan marching band. Um, and, I mean, they're amazing. They're fantastic, you know. I just had never, I hadn't really given a listen to the Spartan marching band because I, I didn't grow up in a family that, um, or, or a, in a physical location that was near Michigan state. So I didn't have exposure to it, but again, at Interlochen, um, my, my counselor, my cabin counselor was in the Spartan band and, you know, I had my Walkman, uh, <laughs> and I was listening to a tape of the, the Michigan band and he's like, what do you listen to? And I'm like, Oh, it's the Michigan marching band. It's so cool. And he was like, Oh dude, hang on hang on you know and he got out of tape and uh and he like showed me his band jacket and he was like just listen to this and um wow that was just like a life-changing experience to hear that sound um and it was just so it was interesting too because it i was so convinced at 15 like that the michigan marching band was where i needed to be you know and and it just it opened up my mind a little bit to say like hang on 15 year old kid you don't know everything there is so much more out there that might be right for you you know yeah so yeah that was uh that was a pivotal moment too cool all right well you know so like i said the 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 idea of the podcast is talking about how we achieve balance in our in our lives not only in our lives really but also kind of in our programs and in our careers you know, and, you know, I've seen you teach before. I know you're, you're a dynamic teacher, um, you know, and part of, part of the things are part of, part of what you can do is you, you can offer, you know, not just a regular kind of, you know, B flat band director kind of experience for your students. So maybe you could talk us through a little bit about first about what you do in your classroom that, that allows you to be a balanced kind of teacher, or maybe do something that's a little bit, uh, a little, unique or a little out of the ordinary that you think works really well for you? Sure. Um, thanks for the kind words, man. Yeah. Um, I think this is a cool idea for a, a podcast, by the way, because we have, we have a uniquely challenging job mm. and I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where when we, when we all kind of run into each other at conferences or, um, you know, at, and hangouts for band directors and stuff, there's, there's a need to connect because no one else seems to really understand the number of, of skill sets and um, different disciplines that you need to be aware of and develop those skills and be really good at and do them simultaneously to be effective. I mean, a lot of people can figure all that out, but to be really effective and to be really good and for it to be easy in terms of delivering it in a way that you don't go crazy or quit (laughs) is, is very complex and difficult. So we often end up calling and talking and listening to these podcasts. I mean, there's so many great shows and I'm I'm glad you're adding to the canon here. Um, But we, we need to do this because you will, you will burn out and lose your mind or quit. If you, if you don't realize that there's other people out there and there's, there's ways to get better and, and do that. So for me, you know, when, when you invited me to be on this show and you told me the name of it, I thought, well, I can definitely 
give the first half of it where I could talk about how not to be a balanced <laughs> fan director. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone has that that story about. Very likely, I I bet a lot of money that it was the first couple years of your job. Yeah. Um, when you, everyone has a lot to prove, and you come out of undergrad or and you're fired up and you got all these, you know, I- ideologies and. Um, you know, I'm totally guilty of that. I think um, what tempered that a little bit was that I was always hyper aware of what the experience is to be in my band. So I'm, I'm always very aware. I, I do a lot of planning to make sure that there's not a lot of dead time yeah. or that I never, I've never had to stop and think like, well, hmm, what do I want to work on here? You know, I try to make it so that from the student's perspective, if you're in the room, is this the place to be? Is this particular rehearsal going to be someplace where you don't want to miss it? You know, where the kids are talking about like, man, band was band was rad today. (laughs) You know, if you like, what's the experience for the kid? Because I've been in so many rehearsals where I'm just sitting there in the back of the room with the trombone and I'm just waiting and waiting and, you know, whatever we're working on, is clearly something that the director wanted to work on, but maybe didn't consider if we cared about it um, and hasn't considered the fact that I haven't played my instrument in 12 minutes <laughs> and just those kind of things. Yeah. Like, what is it like to be a kid in my band or, a, or an 80 year old in my orchestra rehearsal? You know, these people came, they come out to play and they come out to be inspired and to be active and to contribute and to have agency and to sort of be part of this thing we're doing, whether you're in sixth grade or, you know, you're in the community orchestra and you've been playing for decades. So that's my main thing that I try to do is is always be aware of what is it like on the other side of the podium or the other side of the baton, you know. And so I do that in the middle school setting by preparing a lot, um, you know, either writing out physically exactly what my lesson plan is or knowing what my objectives are. And what the one week picture is like and what the one month picture is like. Um, and then moving around the room a lot. Like I rarely will sit up there or stand up there. I'm almost always sitting among the group or moving around in the back or playing the drum set or playing the piano or grabbing a couple different instruments. Um, so, you know, I have like a ticking clock going in my head. If I ever stop and work on something technical, which you obviously you have to do. Right. Um, the second that I start dealing with only one instrument, um, only one group of instruments, there's sort of like a 60 second ticking clock in my mind of like, I only have 60 seconds before this other side of the room blows up, Right. <laughs> you know, sometimes literally. Yeah. So, well, I, um, I think those are, those are some powerful lessons right there. Just thinking about making your classroom more student centered. I, I really like what you said about thinking about what the student experience is like. And I think that that also kind of takes away the second thing you said about being, you know, in the out off the podium, I think takes away the kind of the barrier between you and your students. So you're really working on, you know, not only musically, but from a relationship standpoint, you know, they they see this as kind of like you're all on the same team. It's not you against them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's powerful. It's a hard thing to learn, especially as a young teacher, because we don't we don't have the, a lot of us didn't have that modeled really well for us, you know, either in high school or college. And so it's like hard to No, you're right. It's your experience in undergrad is like, okay, here's, here's your seminar class and you're on the podium. You know, if I was running that seminar class now, if I were 
doing that instruction with undergrads. I'd like get off the podium. No one's allowed to be on the podium. Ever. <laughs> right. You can all figure that out. You can stand up there and wave your stick later. Like what you need to do is, is figure out how to teach this saxophone thing at the same time, keeping your eyes on the trombones and the percussion and give them something to work on and do all of that in 30 seconds. Like that's what you need to be able to do. If you can do that, you can do anything with a stick in your hand on the podium. I, uh, I had a, I went and watched um, Gary Lewis do a uh, the All State Orchestra in Grand Rapids a couple of years ago, and I, wa- mm-hmm. I, I walked into the rehearsal and um, the orchestra's playing. They sound great, and there's no conductor on the on the podium. And I'm kind of looking around and um, didn't really know what was going on. And there's a couple couple uh, you know adults standing in the front of the room, and I, I noticed one of them finally is holding a score. And after they're playing for about 30 seconds or 40 seconds, he, he puts his hand up in the air and he, and the group stops and he calls on like one person in the back of the viola section and says, what are you listening to right now? Hmm. And the kid's like, uh, right. Uh, <laughs> and, and for a half an hour, this was the entire rehearsal was, was him only identifying to the ensemble where their air, where their ears should be. He didn't give one downbeat. He didn't give one, uh, one gesture. It was, I was in awe. It was awesome. And that's awesome. And I, I also think you can do that with some groups, right? I mean, you're talking about all stages. Right. Kids are, of course. The real, what I enjoy about um, being in a lot of classrooms, and this is sort of um, another thing that you, you know, you had asked about how my pedagogy sort of has change from being a composer and how that's you know been affected by that i think this is the biggest thing is that um when i go into a a lot of schools to sort of clinic or hear a you know be the guest composer and hear a piece what's really interesting to me is is the kind of teaching that's going on in somebody's like third band or you know not the top group and not an all state and not an honors group the group that you know those kids either didn't audition into the higher group or they just they're not there and they're just not going to get there and that's okay but how does that director keep that group engaged and in love with music um you know part of that is obviously programming the right music and making the challenge appropriate but what they do um when you've got so many unique challenges skill wise that's where i've really been impressed yeah. like obviously i'm going to be impressed by watching a, a world-class director work with the best high school students or the best college students or that's always impressive and fun but i've learned much more from watching a rock solid middle school band director work with you know their seventh graders or a really good high school director work with her lowest band yeah that's been really, really impressive to me is to see how they, they still make that work. And, and I think that's really what separates a good director from a great director is somebody that can, you know, address the needs of those two or three or four different ensembles in a unique way, but yet in a really effective way in an engaging way. Um, you know, my, my student teacher, my, my, I student taught with Mike Kaufman at Grand Ledge, my mentor. And oh, he, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was a he was a genius at this. I mean, it was amazing to watch him teach his third band versus watching him teach um, 
you know, his, the Grand Lodge Wind, Wind Symphony, which is, you know, one of the best bands in Michigan. And, Absolutely. And, you know, he used to kind of say, he taught, he kind of taught his third band, almost like a middle school band. And he taught his high, middle band, kind of like a regular high school band. And he taught his top band, like a college band. And he was, so he was like, you know, basically three different guys, three different teachers within the span of, you know, four hours. Um, and just right. Super, turning on a dime. Yeah. Super impressive to watch people to be able to do something that I think is maybe the most challenging thing for, um, for teachers. Sure. And to do it authentically, right. Where you're not pretending to be, you're not playing down to the developing students and you're not, you know, kissing up to the, the right. top group where you're, you're legitimately just, you know, the goals are the same. Right. The pedagogy is the same. You're just adjusting what's appropriate for the group developmentally. Like that's mastery. Yeah. And that's not something that you just, that is not a talent. No, that's not something that someone has or doesn't have, you know? Yeah. It's learned. It takes, takes years to have that kind of experience. Yeah. And that's, what's so interesting about, about this profession. And another reason why I like your concept for this podcast is because there are so many talented people out there and there are also so many of them who don't have the patience to fail and to realize like all, a lot of my work is going to be very poor for a long time. <laughs> and that's hard. Yeah. You have to, that's part of the deal. Yeah. Like you have to make some mistakes. Yeah. And if you're going to be working with human beings in a performance setting, some of those mistakes are going to be painful, you know, and you have to go through that in real time. You have to take your group to festival and do poorly, right. or at least see a number that, you know, supposedly says they didn't do well <laughs> and live through that. That's just how that goes. And yeah. the same thing on the composition front, like you have to write a bunch of music that doesn't work or stuff that nobody likes or that you don't like um, or that nobody buys or nobody programs until something starts to click. And then you have to have the patience to like get through all that garbage. Um, and, or I don't know if it's garbage per se, but just that developing work, you sure. know, maybe for me, it was a lot of garbage. <laughs> um, but you know, nobody, nobody is just this brilliant genius on the podium or, you know, writing music from the, from the get go. You obviously, we all see in our students, sometimes you see a particular kid where you're like, man, they have talent. This kid could be amazing. But um, the, the willingness to, to take those blows and the rejection, or maybe things don't go exactly how you wanted the first, second, third, and fourth time. And it's a bummer when, when you see people getting distraught about this or quitting and leaving the profession after a couple of years, because they're, you know, they're in their fourth year of teaching and they didn't get accepted to play at the conference. You know, are you kidding me? Like, you need some patience here. This is a long game. Yeah, it's a marathon. Yeah. Well, um, so I know that you you're, uh, have a family and you have other things in your life that are important to you. So, I, we, you know, in our profession, we often talk about this work-life balance issue. So, what are some ways that you bring balance into your own personal, like the non-teaching, non-composing, non-professional parts? Well, I'll tell you, at first, like we talked about, those first few years, um, I didn't live near my family, my parents, um, and I didn't have a significant other, and I was just permanently attached to that school. Yeah. Um, and that was 
really great for the program and for those kids for the first couple of years. And, and I started a competitive winter drum line and we did the, you know, WGI circuit and the MCGC circuit. And that got really exciting and really good. And there was a lot of great stuff in terms of teaching and skill building and program building in those first five, six, seven years that, um, about the sixth or seventh years I realized was super unhealthy for me. Um, but you know, there's, there was no way I was going to tell that 22 year old me to back off because you're going to start to resent this. There was, it just wasn't going to happen. I needed to, I needed to prove that. But once it did start to happen and I started to get irritated with the number of hours that I was spending at school, um, I really had to start like making active choices. Like I'm just not going to go. I'm not going to stay at school tonight. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to call some friends and we're going to make a plan and we're going to do it. And it sounds so boring, but you have to schedule everything, your priorities, everything. Yeah. So, you know, eventually it became, well, I'm going to schedule dating. I mean, it sounds so ridiculous, but you know what? There's nobody in my life. I want somebody to be in my life. I'm going to schedule dating. I'm going to do that. I'm going to meet some people. Yeah. And then once I was, once I was married, it was a matter of like, well, now I actually would prefer to be at home. (laughs) Um, And so then, you know, that, that was like a dramatic shift of what I wanted. Um, And, you know, then once the kids came along and it was this really dramatic thing of like, well, now I need to be home. I want to be part of my family. I want to be helping out with the kids. And Friday nights became the kind of thing where at one point in my life, Friday night was the most exciting, most important, you know, moment of, of my week or my season. And now it was, I was at the, you know, 10,000th playoff game. And I was thinking like, all right, when, when do I get to go? Right. You know, the band is great and I love these kids and I love it, but as soon as we're done, I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, your, your life changes. Like you, I've heard you talk about seasons before. That's absolutely true. There was a season in my life where I wanted nothing more than to be right there in the stands or at the rehearsal or at the sectional or tuning drums or fill in the blank. And those seasons change for a reason. And, um, and now, you know, being with my family is, is where I want to be and having time to, to develop as a composer is where I want to be. So I literally make time for that. I, I just schedule out these blocks of time, you know, there's, there's no way that I can like actively compose with the girls running around. And so I try to write before they get up, you know, so I'll set an alarm to get up at six and write six to seven or after they go to sleep and I'll write nine to 11 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And if I have to do composer stuff during the day, it'll be like emails or filling orders or working on the website, which is stuff I can do without headphones on. Right that kind of thing. Um, and I, you know, I make a point to leave orchestra on Thursday nights and on the time during the week that I set aside for score study. And that's it. Like I, I will only work on orchestra stuff during those allotted times and on Thursday nights from five to nine. Yeah. Like that's, that's it. And it's tricky because, it, you know, when you make those decisions, these emails pop up or these ideas pop up and you have the urge to tend to it now and you just can't do it. You have to say like, I'm, I'm not working on that right now. Um, I'll work on it when it's time to work on it and I'll give the attention to it when it's time to give the attention to it. It's, 
tricky to do that because everything always feels urgent and seems urgent, but you know, it isn't as long as you block out those times. And I had, I did stuff that seems kind of, I don't know. I won't say nerdy. I'll say sort of Benjamin Franklin, where you, you just sort of inspect like, what are my values here? What do I, what's really most important to me? And then does, does the way that I spend my time match up with those values? Yeah. And it's okay for those things to change as you grow and you learn. And as people come in and out of your life, you just got to always be honest about it because I've, I've found that resentment is sort of this little trigger of like, you're not, live you're not putting the hours towards the right values you know your life has changed something has changed if you're resenting it if there's any being there uh, you should probably do a little self-assessment yeah well and and this is probably an appropriate time then to talk about you know the career change you made recently i imagine that had to do with everything we're talking about right now yeah and that's you know that was really really hard because i had been teaching high school for 17 years and not only was it something that I was super passionate about it was also the only gig that I'd known right so it felt I had like a almost like a a sense of guilt about leaving the high school gig because I loved it and it was it had become such a piece of my identity and it was weird the thought of like well you know what if I'm not the what if I'm not writing the drill? What if I'm not the marching band director? And what, you know, what are the, and I just had to keep telling myself, like, obviously there's thousands and thousands of really fantastic other directors and, you know, we're going to find one and you need to do what's right for you and for your family and for your career. You know, I was, it was getting to the point at the high school where as the composing thing was taking off, I was getting a lot of requests to come out and do uh, clinics, which I love doing. And they obviously have, most of them have to happen during the day because that's when schools meet. So there's only so much time that I can ethically or literally take off of of the high school gig and get a sub to go to another school and be a clinician there. Um, And that was starting to get, like I was saying before, just out of balance um, where I was feeling like I'm at some point here, I'm, I'm neglecting. Um, the time I need to be putting in for my own kids. And it never got that way, but it was just one of those little things where I was noticing it and saying, I really want to be doing this other thing. Um, how, how does that really affect, you know, my, my long-term planning? And so the timing just sort of happened where Pam Hayes was retiring from the middle school band position. She had been doing, she had been doing less and less band because she had also been teaching a lot of technology she's really she's super into that and really good at the whole technology thing so she had gotten pulled to teach some other technology courses so she was just doing the beginners uh two years ago she was doing sixth grade and i was doing seventh through twelfth okay and it was just too much it was too many buildings and yeah and too many different preps and too many kids because they combined some sections like my seventh grade band uh, was like 90 and it was their second year in one group. Ugh. It was just, it was just too much. Mm-hmm. So the timing happened where I had to make a decision before I wanted to make it. Like I thought I would have another year or two to sort of transition into it. And it, 
it didn't work out that way. And, you know, we don't always have hundred percent control over these things, but the, the decision came up really, really fast. Like you're either going to ask to take the middle school job and just be six, seven, eight, and maybe have a little bit of your life back here. Um, or trust that we're going to find somebody as good as Pam to take over the middle school. And you keep doing the high school thing and keep running into the same issues of, um, you know, being away from your family and not having time to write. Um, it's tricky. I remember when my daughter Edith was like three weeks old, we had a preseason football game and it was a really cool game. It was at the big house in Ann Arbor where like, you know, we played Brandon high school, Fenton played Brandon at the big house. It was super cool. Um, and I was so frustrated because I did not want to be there. I wanted to be home with my baby and my wife, you know? And so that was sort of telling to me, like, your life has changed and that's okay. And there was a time where this would have been, you would have been jazzed to be at this cool (laughs) marching man gig. Um, But, you know, life changes and you just got to be aware of that. So when the middle school, school, you know, thing happened, I just thought, I'm scared of it. and that's telling me something too. That sounds like the next mountain I need to climb. Yeah. Um, and it was also the only piece of my, it was the only piece of my teaching that I thought that I was aware was not developed. I had never taught beginners. Yeah. And specifically, I was not pedagogically very sound on beginning woodwinds. So I knew that, would, that only good would come of it that I would learn and it would be a really cool experience for me. And, and honestly, that was my favorite part of this past school year. I'll bet. Was the, was the sixth graders. It was so cool to see them super excited and, yeah. um, you know, to help get them started on the right foot from day one, you know, how to walk into the room and how we do things here. Um, but that didn't make it any more difficult to leave the high school group. Mm-hmm. We had to, we had to hire late in the summer because everything was just delayed a little bit. So, I ended up teaching band camp, like one last band camp. Oh, it's brutal. It was rough, man. I'll bet. We had it was a hard uh it was a hard goodbye the the with the seniors on the the second to last night. Um and you know, some part of me I even told them this. I was I was worried they were gonna be so upset with me, you know, because you just you develop those relationships and I I had to make a tough choice. Um but they're they're amazing kids. I mean they understood yeah. that I'll never get these, I'll never get these minutes and years back with my girls right now. So that's cool. I, I really, I, I'm impressed that you were able to make that call. I mean, I think that's, that's one of the things that many of us struggle with is we want to do everything, you know, and, and I have this serious case of FOMO where I feel like, man, I got to be involved and I got to have my hand in everything. And so I'm I know. terrible at saying no, I'm terrible at it. And, and, uh, I'm super impressed that you just said, you just drew a line, man. And that's, I think I mean, selfishly, one of the reasons I started this podcast is to learn from other people and to try to offer some, some perspective to people who are in this career, who are struggling with this or, or are going to be struggling with this as they, as they progress into their career. So, yeah, it's good. You're right. Because you, you, you want to say yes to everything. I think that's the nature of being a teacher or of being a director where you're saying like, I I know I can help in some way and I can make this better, but you just can't do it. You can't please everyone all the time. 
and you can't do all the things that you want to do and you need to be fulfilled as a musician and as a director and a teacher like it's tough you just have to choose that's that's adulting yeah you got to make tough choices yep. man so um do you do any type of um exercise or anything like that to kind of keep you sane too you know man when we ran into each other in chicago like i guess six months ago yeah. seven months ago yeah. and we had that conversation about how you've been you know really taking care of yourself and committing to some time to to exercise and and um you know you you told me about the fit father project stuff yeah. and i really i really checked a lot of that out um and then uh you know i was i was doing pretty well and then the shutdown happened for the quarantine and it was like that first four weeks was sort of like it was like the only way we're going to cope through this is with comfort food. <laughs> and so it was really, it was, it was good and bad for that first month because yeah. we were like, all right, we're going to, we're just going to cook our way through right. Julia Child's <laughs> joy of cooking here. <laughs> we were like making the beef bourguignon yeah. and, and having, you know, wine with every meal and um, put on some, put on some weight fast and realize that was not sustainable. Um so yeah, since uh, I guess since April, I've been I've been doing an every other day, you know, run one day, weights the other day, kind of a thing. Yeah. And wow, has that really, really made me feel a lot better, yeah. just mentally too. Just the you know the the sort of heavy weight of you know what's this going to be like for us here going forward, and how are we going to how are we going to solve this problem of trying to teach remotely and or whatever, you know, we end up doing, that's stressful. And that was really, that was weighing on me a lot. So the the time alone to exercise and to run um, and to get in the basement and do the weights and sort of just take care of my body physically, that's also just mentally been really helpful. And my wife is awesome. Like she, she knows I need to do that. So she keeps the kids out of my hair while I can just have a little bit of time to take care of myself physically. Yeah, that's awesome. And and the same thing with eating too. Like just, I got a little Fitbit tracker, you know, and the app has a, a real simple way just to sort of like keep track of your calories yeah. and your protein. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, we're both in our early 40s and it's just one of those things where when you're younger, you can survive on adrenaline and pizza. Um <laughs> Especially in, you know, if you're in a gig, like being a band director where sometimes you eat school lunch right. and school breakfast or no breakfast, and then you grab pizza before the football game and it's just sort of a garbage lifestyle. Right. Um, but that will catch up with you. So yeah. prioritizing your health is another really critical part of this balance thing, because let's be honest, the stress of being a music educator um, is not, you know, helped by a by a disaster diet or you know never taking care of your heart so yeah well you know that's the that's the thing i mean these these interviews that i'm that i'm doing i they're all about my guests but i'm always trying to sneak in a little bit of this this physical mental health connection thing because i think it is super important and, and it's something that i've discovered in about the last year and a half yeah man i was super inspired by you i mean we we only got to talk a little bit in chicago but um i was just really impressed that 
you know, we're, we're close friends. I think people know that. And just to sort of see like, Oh, well, geez, if Dave can do it, uh, (laughs) what's my excuse? (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. I'm I'm glad. uh, I'm I'm glad I was able to help because that's, that's always the excuse, right? We're we're always the only band director in the school. And so it's like, well, maybe you have time to go to the gym, but I'm a band director. Right. Right. You don't understand. But when you, you know, when you see someone who does your, your your job and gets it also saying like no this is actually super important and i'm going to prioritize this well hey man i i appreciate your time i want i just have like two more questions that i that i kind of ask all my guests and so yeah um one of them is a little bit on the cliche side i apologize but it's always a great way to get to kind of know people a little bit and that is kind of the desert island recordings you know if you were stuck in a desert island what what few pieces would you want to have be stuck with for the rest of your life yeah, this these are always just brutally unfair, oh, right? Correct. These questions. I was on. Um, I got to do Mark Connors' okay. podcast a couple of weeks ago, yep. and so I told him um, if if it was a band piece, I would wanna I'd wanna say Children's March, and I would specific since you asked specifically, I, the recording I would want would be the uh, the the Bourgeois Marine Band recording because that for some the way they mic'd it or the way they performed it when the band sings at the key change there's like these vocal parts i don't know how no well you know but they must have like mic'd that specifically because the the vocals are so good the way they sing uh and that's picked up on that recording is so good so the granger children's march i love um i'll amend what i said last time and say if it's desert island style i'll want basically an anthology of every piece ever written by john williams okay and i i don't want the uh symphonic suites like i want the original studio recordings because i want i want the sean murphy microphone techniques like i want the in the studio in los angeles recordings um and possibly all of the bernard herman recordings as well all right so yeah, a lot of film score in there, I guess. I know that's cool. You know, that's something we didn't have a, a lot of chance to talk about your composing and your compositional style. You know, I've been super fortunate to perform a few of your pieces and I'm looking forward to, to getting through your catalog here in the next couple of years. But um, you mentioned Bernard Herman. I know that, you know, he was a, he was a big influence for you. Do you have any other compositional influences or teachers you'd like to, to mention? Oh man. Yes. There's so many. Um, in, the people I've never met would would be Aaron Copeland and Bernard Herman and Jen Williams um, and Igor Stravinsky. But uh, the people I have met have been profoundly more influential just from our interactions together. I mean, you know, my mom was my first music teacher ever and will always be the most important and um, lasting and influential one. Um, both my parents super supportive all the way through my whole career and Till now they still come to my gigs and support me and love me unconditionally so that's awesome you know my parents and obviously my wife is amazing and understands what i do and um you know loves me through all of it um denny fralick my high school band director he he said something to me that i still remember when i was a senior in high school uh when he when i told him i was gonna study music education because i wanted to be a band director which is basically the nicest thing you can say to your band director exactly. ever is that I want to be you. I want to be you. <laughs> but he said, 
he said, if you do what I think you're going to do, you're going to change a lot of lives. That's awesome. Which that meant a lot to me because that's, that's everything I ever wanted to do was to change a lot of lives, you know, in a good way. So, um, Danny Freilich, and obviously you can't leave this out without saying John Madden was just such a huge influence on me in undergrad and gave me a lot of chances to, he took a lot of chances on me and, and let me be in charge of a lot of things and let me believe in myself. Just learned a lot from him. Um, you know, actually everybody in undergrad, all my professors in undergrad were just outstanding. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people to thank, but um, uh, I could go on and on here. That's cool. Well, you know, if, if you're listening and, you, and you're a band director and you haven't had a chance to check out Andy's music, I mean, I think that, you know, what you're bringing to our um, repertoire, I think, is, is awesome. And I know it's much appreciated. I mean, you have a really unique gift of um, writing music, I think, that is contemporary sounding yet um very palatable and hummable if you will that 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 students like and we enjoy teaching and um you know another thing i think that's great is you write really awesome percussion parts that um on on music that um you know a grade three piece um you know often has somewhat lame percussion parts and i think you, you write really great percussion writing that is difficult for kids they from a technical standpoint and i think that I know that my students have really loved playing every piece that I've done of yours. And so uh, looking forward to so much, you know, what you're going to put out in the next 10 years, because I think it's going to be really special. Thank you, man. I, I really appreciate your, your kind words there. I, I think that that, what you just said about the percussion writing, that that's one of those things that's informed by being a band director Yeah, is having been in the, been in the room when the, you know, the clarinets are struggling on this ridiculously difficult part. And the percussioner is sitting back there with a triangle right, hit. Right. So, you know, that was something I, I keep in mind when I'm writing that it needs to be balanced. You need to be aware of who's in the room and people need to, players need to get all the attention that they, they deserve. So cool. I appreciate you, you saying that. Yeah. And I've, I've loved coming out and hearing your groups, man. Yeah. You, you can get them to play. You do a great job. Thanks man. Um, how else can we connect with you? Give us, give us your social uh, media handles and, and, and all that stuff. Sure. Um, um, I do Facebook and a little bit of Twitter and you can, you can find all of my stuff on my website, which is just andrewdavidperkins.com. You can email me there too. It's just composer at andrewdavidperkins.com. Um, and all my, all my music is on YouTube as well. A lot of recordings and, um, demos and things are, are there too. Um, if you're, I suppose if you're just sort of, if you're listening and you're like, I haven't heard, this person's music at all um there's two pieces i would maybe recommend as first listening one would be um my, my most recent work which is uh it's a concert band suite of michigan folk songs called tuabor i just finished that for a, a large consortium um so that hasn't has not been performed yet but there's a mock-up that you can check out on the website or on youtube the tuabor suite and then the other one would probably be clutch it's a fanfare i wrote for Grand Ledge High School for John Cizerowski um, about two years ago, a year and a half ago. And that one has, has been performed a lot in just the short span between last December when it premiered with John's group and um, before things sort of shut down. Yeah. That, that started to blow up really quick and then the world 
stopped doing band. Bummer. But there's there's some really great recordings on YouTube um, of Clutch. There's the premiere from Grand Ledge, which was just stellar. And then there's the um, Michigan State Symphony Band recording. They performed it at CBDNA in February, just before this all stopped. Mm-hmm. And same, it was actually the day before that Arkansas State played it at a different CBDNA. Um, so that's got some good recordings up there too. So yeah, check out Clutch and, and Tuabor. Well, but I'm happy to I'm happy to collaborate with anybody and um, talk about what might work in my catalog cool. for different different groups. Well, I'm excited for you, man. Congratulations on all the success. And uh, I, I really appreciate your time. This has been a great conversation. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, as a friend and as a colleague. And uh, I really uh, just want to say thanks for taking the time to have conversations with me today. Thank you, man. This was a blast. I think you're doing a, a great job with this. I'm excited to see where you go with it. Cool, man. Thanks a lot. And I'll, I'll hope to see you soon, man. I don't know when, but hopefully it's soon. Yeah, we'll figure something out. Take care. All right. Man. Take care. Peace. This has been the Balanced Band Director Podcast. Again, my name is Dave Larzalier. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to our show today. If you'd like to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, it's Balanced Band Director, or feel free to send me an email at balancedbanddirector at gmail.com. Talk to you soon.